This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus in Lakeville, Minnesota. Are you interested in learning more about our church? Go to Bethlehem.Church forward slash South. Dave, the beginning of a new season, like season two of the podcast. Oh, I didn't know. Today we are joined by Brian Tabb, professor of New Testament and dean of the... Brian Tabb is dean at Bethlehem College and Seminary. We are grateful you joined us today, Brian. It's good to be here, guys. Brian was at one point a professor for both Dave and I. Dave, what was your favorite Brian Tab class? I think I only had one with you, didn't I, Brian? Probably. And I think that it was uh, Old Testament and the New. It was a great class. I love that class. That was a good class. Your favorite out of one. My yes, favorite, favorite out, of one. out of one. But 10 out of 10 would recommend. Seriously, one of my favorites in seminary. Yes. And my favorite one out of one with you. That was great. The use of Old Testament and the New. I don't think I ever, I think I talked about auditing Revelation with you, Brian, but I don't think I ever actually did because I was kind of after my time. So, Brian, we always talk ask. about it now. Yeah, well, maybe. We always ask random questions, Brian, of our uh, uh, interviewees. So, Brian, you're married to uh, Kristen. How many, how many kids do you guys have? Four. What was the first date you went on with your not-yet-wife? My first date with Kristen, I don't know that she would call it a date, uh, but <laughs> we went to Eclectic Cafe in Wheaton, Illinois. Are you a Whedon grad? Ah, uh, and she is too. Oh, that makes makes a lot of sense. What do you remember about that date, Brian? They have great omelets. <laughs> it's good conversation. So, Brian, uh, today uh, we're talking with you about eschatology. Eschatology. What what is that word? What does that mean? Somebody's listening in. They're like, I've heard this thrown around. What is the actual like etymology, or what does that word actually mean? Yes. So eschatology comes from two Greek words smushed together. Eschatos means last. Logos means word. It's the last word, the last things. It's often tucked away in the back of a systematic theology textbook, something like that, you know, chapter 57 or whatever. (laughs) The last things, eschatology. I don't think it was an appendix or an afterthought, though, for biblical writers. It was actually what Peter leads with in his first sermon after Jesus pours out the Spirit. He puts eschatology first. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, that's the kind of language that the uh, biblical writers use, the, the last days, the latter days, or sometimes the prophets would say, at the end of days or after these things, mm. that, that sort of thing is what, what's meant by the end times, the last days, eschatology. So Brian, you're, you're also an elder at Bethlehem. You're an elder on the downtown council and together, whether as a professor at BCS or a elder uh, at Bethlehem, we ascribe together to the Elder Affirmation of Faith, which has a a significant article about end things. And in that article, and just generally the way that we think together, 
we talk in terms of Jesus Christ's first coming being what ushers in end things or end times. And that's not, that's not the way that everybody or American evangelicals necessarily think about end things or end times, typically. You want to talk just for a minute, like what that contrast is? What, what do you think biblically the end times are? When do, they, when do they begin and when do they end? Yeah, I think, I think for many people, we think about the end times as something that's still to come. Something God's going to do in the future, something about a rapture and a millennium and an antichrist and the end of history. It's the stuff of prophecy charts and kind of Armageddon, apocalyptic kinds of end of the world. And it's uh, because it's kind of somewhere out there in the future, it maybe isn't something that we think about unless we're debating somebody or unless there's something uh, really terrible that's happening in the world that makes us wonder, is this it? Mm -hmm. Um, The Bible doesn't talk about it quite that way. Um, Now, I already mentioned that, that the Old Testament uses language like the latter days, uh, the last days, the end of days, you get references like that as early as the book of Genesis. And then it gets a little bit more pronounced in passages like Isaiah 2 or Micah 4 or uh, Daniel 12. Uh, Texts like this that are kind of differentiating between the present time and something that God's going to do in the future. Mm -hmm. And the Old Testament writers are are looking forward to something that God's going to do, something big, uh, a time when he's going to fulfill his promises and reveal his purposes more fully and bring his people back after they've been scattered in exile and, and so forth, pour out his spirit, not just on a king or a, a prophet, but on the people of God. Uh, so it, it's this time that's that's out there, that's still to come, somewhere over the the horizon. And the the New Testament authors, I think, are are following uh, Jesus's lead in in recognizing, okay, that that thing that the uh, the New Testament writers were expecting, it just happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or it, it started to happen. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a, a a neat and tidy like, okay, now it's this age and then it's the age to come all at once. But it the the end kind of invaded the here and now. It you know the it, something dawned or or begun, uh, and the fancy way that theologians talk about that is inaugurated eschatology. Um, Inaugurated eschatology. Inaugurated eschatology means the last things have already started. Okay. So not like, not like there's an inauguration in six days. Different kind of inauguration. Okay. Different kind of inauguration. Maybe the, the clearest New Testament place 
New Testament text where we could see that is the beginning of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where the author says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hmm. And so the, the author's kind of situating himself and his readers saying, you need to know what time it is. It's really important that you look at the clock of redemptive history and recognize that the, the big hand is on the time of Jesus. You know, the, and the prophets were, were longing for that day. We're just waiting for that day. I was reading recently in, this might seem like a tangent, I'll try to bring it back. I was reading recently in volume two of Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And it's in the chapter on Helm's Deep, one of the big battle scenes. Aragorn, one of the main characters says, this is a night as long as years. How long will the day tarry? I, I think that that way of talking about it, I, I think that that maybe helps us to feel what the saints of old experienced as they were just longing for, you know, these these days are like years. How long will it tarry? How long will God wait before he fulfills his promise to send the Messiah to save his people? and so forth. And then the New Testament authors are saying the, the day has dawned people. Yeah. Look, the, the sun has risen and we need to live in light of the sun rising. So if, so if you're a, a pastor at the South campus, hypothetically, and you're pastoring a people through, uh, some pretty hard days, some pretty discouraging days. And, and really, we've seen a lot of people, right, with that classical definition of eschatology, wondering more about, is this the, the end? Is the world going to end? And I, th- I think it's fair. I think, you know, every generation has wondered that to some extent. You can go back and find all sorts of people wondering that. But with the definition you just gave us, and if you go to Hebrews 1, uh, it says he sat down after making purification for sin. So that, that's how he marks the time. Christ came, he made purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of God. How, how should the definition you gave us for the last days help us interpret and even live as Christians in the times we're now? I think first off, this thicker view of eschatology should give us reason to hope. We don't have to just like wonder what's going to happen at the end. We, we don't have to, you know, just wish for better days. We know yeah. how the story ends. Right. And we know that it's not just God will fulfill his promises, but he already has started to fulfill those promises. It's not just, you know, how long will the, the day tarry, but it, it's 
we know that it's our, the sun has already risen. And now it's just a question of how long until God finishes fulfilling his promises. But the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, is seated yeah. at the right hand of God. And, and he has conquered death and has, has risen from the dead. And because of that, we can expect that God will raise us also. That's the kind of thinking that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15, yeah. for example. He describes Jesus as the first fruits, you know, the initial crops that have been picked, the beautiful red tomatoes from the garden. It's like, look, it's mm-hmm. it's the first of the harvest. Now we're just waiting for God to bring the rest of the harvest in, which in that uh, imagery is for us to be raised also. Mm. That, that's what happens when Jesus will return at the, at the end of history. He will finish conquering all of his enemies. He'll bring that justice that we're longing for the cries of how long, how long, O Lord, will be answered by, yes, Lord, just and true are your judgments. And thank you, Lord. And, uh, you know, just all the longings of our hearts will be satisfied when we will see him face to face and we will see how he wraps up history. And because God has already started that process, we can have even greater confidence, greater expectation, greater assurance that God will most surely continue to keep his promises. Amen. I mean, that's really, that's Hebrews 11 and 12, right? So uh, out of this picture that we're in the end times and so much was longed for and hoped for by all the saints that lived throughout the Old Testament, though they did not receive what was promised. Here we are. We've come not to Sinai, but Mount Zion. I seem to be living a lot in Hebrews these days, uh, as with the previous podcast. Um, But that, that just seems like the watchword and the marching orders, as it were, for the saints of God to endure and to keep looking for that coming home and what is promised with resurrected bodies and with a resurrected earth and in the presence of our resurrected king. And not only do we have hope during a pandemic, during political turmoil and social confusion and disruption, but we also, I think, the New Testament vision for eschatology gives us clarity on what should we be focused on? You know, for example, uh, in, in Acts 1, the disciples ask Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom? He said, it's not for you to know times or seasons. Don't worry about the exact date you know, don't worry about whether it's August 17th or December 5th, or if it's 2021 or 2091 or whatever. Don't focus on that. 
focus on what he says next in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. We, we have clarity on why there are two comings of Jesus, not just one. He came the first time as the lamb to die for our sins. He will come again as the conquering king to defeat his foes. And there is such mercy in that first coming, which, which propels us then to mission to say, hey, everybody, guess what Jesus did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there, he's delaying that reckoning. Mm. There, are, there are lots of longings for justice in our day. How we, we see it painted on billboards and on storefronts downtown. We see it on our social media feeds and, and so forth. And, and justice is a biblical value, but Jesus doesn't just give us justice. He gives us mercy. Yeah. And that's the theme of that first coming. That is the theme of our then witness in the here and now as we wait for that final reckoning. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So you mentioned, I mean, there are two comings of our King, one that's past another that we look forward to. We've also talked about, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the kingdom is, we talk about already here, but not yet fully here, but do all evangelical Christians believe that the kingdom is, is present in some way the rule and reign of christ or do some believe that the kingdom is yet to come or do some even say that there are more than two comings of christ can we can we talk about that for a second brian like are there are there brothers and sisters who uh we three would count as brothers and sisters and love dearly that have just a different view on what eschatology and last things looks like well christians believe all sorts of things that there are there, there's the most degree of clarity on something like the Apostles' Creed. And, and then the more specificity, you have the more uh, variety, I suppose. So, so, for example, several of the key questions are, what is the relationship between God's promises in the Old Testament to Israel? And then what what he's doing with the church in the New Testament. And so how do church and Israel relate? Does the church replace Israel? Some people would say that. Is there an absolute distinction between God's dealings with Israel and God's dealings with the church? such that the, the church age where we are now is, is something like a big parenthesis in history. And then God's going to come back around and finally deal with, uh, with his, his other people, Israel, his first people. That's sometimes called classic dispensationalism, where there's a, just a fundamental distinction between Israel and the church, God's two peoples. Uh, there are varieties within dispensationalism. Not all dispensationalists would hold to that, sh that sharp of a distinction. The 
I think that it's probably most helpful to think in terms of a greater level of continuity in the people of God. Uh, and really, the, the New Testament applies Old Testament promises and patterns to the church in such a way as, as to focus the people of God around the Messiah of God, Jesus Christ such that, that what does it mean to be part of that family, part of that people? It, it looks like trusting in King Jesus, mm-hmm. whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. You're, you, there, there's one olive tree, Paul says in, in Romans 11, and there are natural branches, the, the Jewish people, and then there are branches that are grafted on the, the Gentiles, which would include me. So, so that's, that's maybe one of the key ways to, to think about it. Some people would emphasize the already. We have, have some of that even in, our, in some of our songs uh, that would be, be popular, just the, these are the days of Elijah. Something like that, you know. The, uh, the this is when God is is almost like the the new creation is now. Such a present focus that it it almost takes over the future hope part. And then there's maybe others that would tilt it more towards the future, and maybe not emphasize as much what God has already started to fulfill. So there's, I think, a, a balancing act there, and, and the, the New Testament holds those realities together, the already and the not yet. And we sometimes get into trouble when we kind of miss one side of, of, that, uh, of that dynamic that needs to be held together. That's good. I mean, and as much as you, you mentioned it, you said some would say there's more like a replacement kind of of old covenant to new covenant people others are radical well varying degrees radical maybe not so radical but still a separation and what romans 10 and 11 seems to indicate is more of a a maturation more of a a progression in god's people and in his plan as opposed to um, a couple different plans or one completely exactly the same plan all the way through more of a an unfolding of his plans so right. Dave, Dave, God willing, uh, well, God willing and me wanting, we are going to hopefully at some point in the next few years, preach through the book of Revelation uh, at South Campus, God willing. Um, you want to speak to a second just before we talk a little bit about the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. Lots of people got their book of Revelations. You can go to your local Lifeway. Oh, wait, all the Lifeway is closed. You can go to your local uh, bookstore and find all kinds of revelations, but we're talking about the book of Revelation. Why would we maybe preach on the book of Revelation? Uh, if so much is disputed and uh, you know there's a lot of peripheral opinions about things like eschatology, why, why preach on the book of Revelation? Well, the, the first reason is that it's in the Bible, and so we, uh, we don't shy away from preaching the Bible. Uh, and the second reason is I think that while there are 
there are disputes uh, and there are different thoughts on it. I think that what the book of Revelation does is show a pretty timeless picture of the people of God under the lordship and kingship of Christ, enduring persecution, enduring suffering, and the ultimate victory that we have in Jesus. So those are themes that I'll preach as yeah. you as you walk through uh, a book and and like and like Brian said I think that those are the themes that we really do see throughout uh, Jesus predicting and and acting in some ways throughout the gospels we see all the new testament writers and the epistles pointing that direction and so revelation is one of my favorites because we get we get so much of kind of a culminating picture of what we're seeing in the new testament but also so much connection and continuity with the old testament so you preach the revelation you're you're necessarily going to preach about genesis and about ezekiel and about isaiah and about all these other places as well and one of the things i love to do probably because of brian tabb's old testament in the new class how coming full circle is to show god's people how God's plan is unfolded. And I think that there's just a, a confidence level that rises in our God when we see the masterpiece of how he's put this story together and how he's carrying it out. So Revelation is an exciting book to think about preaching through for me. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, have you written anything on the book of Revelation or thought about it at all at any point in the in the past? I have written a few things on the book of Revelation uh, including a, a book called All Things New, Revelation as Canonical Capstone. Uh, I'm working on a short commentary on Revelation for the Gospel Coalition uh, that'll be out sometime next year. Um, it is a worthy book to study. And I think while many people see Revelation as kind of a riddle, uh, to be decoded or something, it it actually is such a, a relevant book for us, and it it holds out glorious promises and and even uh, blessings. There are seven blessings uh, in in the book, and the first one is blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy, and who hear and who keep them. So Revelation isn't just a book to be figured out, but a book to be obeyed. That glorious blessing statement is, is based on the truth that the time is near. It's not just like out there sometime, but it, it's, it's near because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one that John sees, yeah. the one that 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 speaks to his servant John, and through John speaks to the churches, us included. So by all means, uh, brothers, preach through the book of, of Revelation. Uh, Saints of Bethlehem, read this book and trust God and do what he says. Amen. Any closing thoughts or closing questions, Dave? Uh, I am willing to get someone a copy of Brian's book if they email me. Wow. Here we are holding out that book carrot again. 
wondering, will anybody take us up on it? Would you, would you say that, have you read Brian's book? Parts of it. Yeah. I, I finished it. I think that was my book last Christmas uh, to get through. W- would you just recommend it for, uh, you know, your average middle schooler who's, uh, <laughs> you know, but maybe even Brian, just who, who would be interested in reading that book and who, uh, uh, and you're not allowed to self-deface. You can't be like, well, I'm not sure anybody will be interested in reading that, but you gotta like, well, it's, it's a good book. Yeah. It's a good book. Um, if, if Dave's going to give this out to somebody, um, you know, raffle it away. Uh, what, what would you want somebody, a layman at South campus to know, um, before they read it? Well, don't, don't think that, that the book of revelation is only for experts. And I, I read through it with, with my son when he was in fifth grade and he thought it was awesome. The imagery helps to stir the imagination, you know, like a good star Wars movie or something might. Uh, Are there any more of those anymore, Brian, good star Wars movies? You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) I, I, I wrote that book for, um, you know, it's probably at the level where a, a pastor or a, seminary student would would be the the target reader but i think it's such that uh, a thoughtful christian could pick it up it's not tried to not make it overly technical like you have to know greek and hebrew to be able to decipher it should be reasonably accessible the the main idea is just read read the book of revelation not not mainly with like Fox News or CNN on to try to decode everything, but read it with your Old Testament open. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, to to put you know interpret scripture with scripture. That's 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 the big idea. Yeah, amen. So, are you listening? And you're a thoughtful Christian. Email Dave, <laughs> and Dave will get you a copy. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have people read that, and hopefully, God willing, and and uh, not too long, not yet, but not too long from now, we will be in the book of Revelation at South Campus. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys. <laughs>